Um, you look at the screen up there, you see we interrupt this program. You know, for the last several weeks, we've been preaching out of the Gospel of Luke. It's the lectionary, the Gospel lectionary for this particular Christian year. Uh, but it does take one week off to move and shift to the Gospel of John. So while the outside of your bulletin does say the Gospel of Luke, because that's where we've spent so much time over the last several weeks and months, um, today's Gospel comes from John, and so we interrupt this program. Seems somewhat appropriate uh, for us to think about that today. I want you to be aware that Jesus' arrival in Bethany in our scripture lesson this morning is no casual event. If I had included the verses immediately before our scripture that we've heard read this morning, you would know that everybody is looking for Jesus and not for good reasons. In fact, the priests and the Pharisees have put out word that if anybody sees Jesus, you should let them know immediately because they have one goal, one purpose, and that's it, and it's to arrest Jesus. Things have gotten so bad that Jesus decides to retreat to the wilderness of Ephraim. Now, if you want some fun Sunday afternoon entertainment, go home and Google that word, Ephraim, and how to pronounce it. There'll be like ten videos that come up and show you how to pronounce it or or say it for you. All ten of them are different. So it goes back to what I learned in seminary. Just say it with authority like you know what you're talking about and nobody will question you. So it's Ephraim. So um, Jesus' hour has not yet come and so Jesus is only going to do things on His own terms and so because His hour hasn't come, we're told in the verses right before this one that Jesus goes off into the wilderness and He's just kind of hanging out there for a while. But now Passover is coming and Jesus is beginning to make His way to Jerusalem to celebrate the holiday of Passover. It will be the last Passover that Jesus celebrates before His crucifixion. But on the way to Jerusalem, He stops just two miles short and in Bethany. And perhaps He stops there because He knows that there's Jerusalem's going to be so crowded with people there for Passover that he won't be able to find a place to stay. Or perhaps he stops in Bethany because he knows his good friend Lazarus lives there. Uh, Lazarus is the one that Jesus has just resurrected from the dead just a short while earlier. Or perhaps he stops in Bethany because he's received a personal invitation from Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, who want to uh, give him a dinner to express their thankfulness and their gratitude that Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. It could have been any of those things. It could have been all of those things. All we know for sure is that the Scripture says that the dinner that Mary and Martha and Lazarus provided for Jesus that day was meant to honor Jesus. And that's why Jesus is there. Now speaking of dinner, the word that's translated dinner in our text this morning, only you only find it in two other places in the Gospel of John. And in both of those instances, it relates to what we call the Last Supper. 
It's the last Passover meal that Jesus celebrated with His disciples before His crucifixion. So I suspect that there's meant to be a link for us between what happens in our Scripture today and that last supper dinner that will be uh, Jesus and His disciples will share in just a few short days. We're told in the Scripture that Martha, to no one's surprise, if you know anything about what the Gospels tell us about Mary and Martha, Martha's the one serving. She's the one preparing the dinner. She's the one making sure that all of the arrangements are in order. We're told that Lazarus is reclining at the table with Jesus. So he's just doing what uh, in the previous stories we've learned about Mary and Martha, Mary would have been doing. She's sitting there with Jesus just engaged in conversation. But we're told that Mary, in this particular passage, takes a jar of precious ointment and she begins to pour it onto Jesus' feet. We're told that it's made of nard, and scholars tell us that nard perfume came from the Himalayas, and that that's why it was so uncommon, and that's why it was so expensive. We're told that this perfume would have cost a year's wages for a day laborer. It is very, very expensive perfume. And Mary took the most important and expensive possession that she owned, And she spent it on Jesus in our story today. And then we're told that Mary washes off that perfume or that ointment. She wipes it off with her hair. This is somewhat puzzling if you know anything about what was going on in Jesus' day. What were the customs and the norms It was considered not a virtuous woman if you were to have your hair down uh, among people that were not your most closest of family. And so the fact that she's got her hair down and that she uses that hair to wipe off Jesus' feet would have been uncustomary and would have immediately captured the attention of those who had seen or heard about this. And why in the world would Mary go to the task of wiping off the perfume that she just applied. It really doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, scholars attempt to answer that question by saying that John probably used two different stories of anointing as sources for writing and including this story in his gospel. Uh, Maybe you recall that the Gospels were not written in the days and weeks immediately after Jesus' crucifixion and His resurrection or His ascension into heaven. Because when Jesus ascended into heaven, He promised that He was going to come back and everybody assumed that Jesus' return was imminent. There was no need to go to the laborious task of trying to recount all of the stories that Jesus uh, that had happened in Jesus' life and, and to put them into something that could be read and that would endure for the centuries. Jesus was coming back in their minds rather quickly. 
It was only years later after Jesus didn't come back and the disciples who were eyewitnesses to that account began to die that they realized that they needed to record what happened for posterity's sake. Maybe John is trying to remember the exact circumstances of the story and he's, and he's combined two anointing stories into one. The two other stories that it appears that John may have used in crafting this particular story, one comes from the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, we have a story of a sinful woman who comes to Jesus and she begins to wet Jesus' feet with her tears. And then this sinful woman, who could have very easily been understood, would have had her hair down, began to wipe Jesus' feet of her tears, and then she anoints His feet with perfume. The other gospel story about anointing is found in Matthew and is found in Mark. And in that particular story, it also occurs in Bethany, like John's story today. But it occurs in the home of Simon the leper. And we have this unnamed woman who comes in and she anoints Jesus with perfume, not on his feet, but on his head which would have been the customary way to anoint a king or a priest. And we know that Jesus was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Entirely appropriate for her to anoint Him on His head. So why does Mary anoint Jesus in this story on His feet? Remember earlier the word dinner and how it occurs only in two other places in the Gospel of John. And each one of those times it's about the Last Supper where Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with His disciples. What else happened on that night? Jesus washed the disciples' feet. In fact, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, He said that the reason why He was washing the disciples' feet is because it was an expression of His love for the disciples. And He even went so far as to tell the disciples that if you don't let Me do this, if you don't let Me wash your feet, then you have no part in who I am or what I'm doing. And then, after Jesus had washed the disciples' feet at that last supper, He commanded them, just as I have washed your feet, as an expression of love and devotion, so I want you to wash the feet of others. Also, as an expression of love and devotion. And so if what's happening here in our text is that Mary washes the feet of Jesus, if that's a prefiguring of what Jesus will do to the disciples, she is expressing love in the way that Jesus will teach His disciples to express love, but has not yet taught, at least as, we, as recorded in Scripture. So Mary boldly gives in love now just as Jesus commands the rest of the disciples to express love later. 
Mary becomes the first one to embody the love that Jesus will later command every single one of His disciples to do. And this is amazing. In a world where women were treated as second-class citizens, mere possessions, inferior in so many, if not in every way, Mary gets it right. She understands what the love of Christ looks like before Christ has even taught the rest of the disciples what the love of Christ looks like as it relates to this specific example of washing feet. She knows what loving looks like before Jesus ever teaches what loving looks like. It's a beautiful image. Well, Mary doesn't say, at least in the Scripture, why she does what she does, but Jesus goes on to say that she is preparing me for my burial. It's as if Jesus is tired of hanging out in the wilderness. It's as if Jesus' hour has finally come. It's as if Jesus is preparing His disciples that He will not always physically be with them. It's as if He knows that He must now do what God sent Him to earth to do. And so after Mary anoints Jesus for burial, she is in essence initiated Jesus on His ultimate journey to the cross. And this expression of love that Mary has given to and for Jesus begins the journey where Jesus ultimately expresses His great love and devotion for us by willing, being willing to go to the cross. We're told that the perfume of that anointing filled the entire room. Just a few days before, that house would have known what the stench of death smelled like, and now that house is filled with the fragrance of Christ's love and devotion. What would it mean for us if we decided to leave this place today and to spread the fragrance of love and devotion, Christ's love and devotion with the world? That's what I'd like for you to consider during this week as we continue this Lenten journey. In what way Can I so live and serve where the love and the devotion made known in this act of Mary for Jesus be be made known in our world today? Speaking of love and devotion, that's what this table is about. It's a table where every single person is welcomed and where every single person is loved. It's a table that reminds us of the ultimate and supreme act of love that Christ made known for us, being willing to give up His life 
so that we might know how great is that love He has for us and so that we might have life. And as we gather at this table, my prayer is that we sense in an unbelievable, undeniable, powerful way just how much God loves each and every one of us. That the fragrance of Christ's love and devotion would just be so permeable that we could smell it. And that we would rise from this table being willing to be that fragrance of love and devotion to the world.